What's good with it? This is Mike Sarge, and the MTMV Sports Song of the Week is my song, Energy. You can listen to it now on Spotify, Apple Music, Tidal, and all other digital platforms. Man, y'all have a blessed day. Salutes to that. How y'all doing? This is Rick Sincere with MTNV Sports, man. I'm geeked to be joined today um, by Coach Scott Fields, man. So happy to have him on the podcast today. Um, it is amazing. Let me just tell you a little bit about him. 15 years as a FIBA head coach uh, with multiple championships, one um, near a 780 win percentage. That is incredible, sir. That is incredible. Anyway, thank so, you. Thank you. <laughs> three summers with, uh, with Golden State with Steph Curry as a rookie, two seasons as a consultant uh, with the Hall of Fame coach Jerry Sloan, and also was a high school um, Hall of Fame athlete and so many more accolades. Thank you, I can Ray. only say so many, but there are so many more accolades. If you check out his website, you'll know exactly what we're talking about. How are you doing today, Coach? Rick, I'm I'm doing well. Uh, we're out here uh, in Salt Lake City, Utah. We've eclipsed the 100 degree mark, and we have that dry heat, not like that high humidity that you guys have, where you get those nice little afternoon showers around four o'clock in the afternoon. I've spent some time in hot Atlanta, so I I know what you're feeling. I I just hope that everybody will wear their mask and stay safe, and let's lower this curve and uh, let's let's continue doing good things and keep keep evolving as people so that way we can have equality and justice around the globe and in our nation. Coach, it has been an absolute fight to get people to wear their mask. It's been an absolute fight to get um, the teenagers and the college students to get out of the clubs. And yeah. it, it's been an absolute fight, man. But, um, but you know, because of it, you know, we're still, we're still in this pandemic. And I think your advice is sage advice, right, that people should definitely be taking right now. Yeah, they, we, we got to quit politicizing every little move and everything that you see on social media. You know what? And just be selfless and, and do a selfless act uh, for the greater good because there are people out there who are immunocompromised and are at risk. So, uh, you know, let's try to protect them. And it's okay to do something nice for somebody. Come on. <laughs> Absolutely. Coach, do me a favor. Talk to me about your podcasting journey. You have your own podcast. It's a thriving podcast. You're doing really well. Tell me about your podcasting journey, Coach. Well, Rick, thank you. I'm humbled by your kind words. Uh, it's interesting. Uh, as you mentioned, I've been blessed that I've had a phenomenal career uh, with this game of basketball. I, I was a high school Hall of Famer in the state of Indiana, uh, got into coaching at a very young age, and uh, you know, 14 years at the college level with multiple teams that were nationally ranked. At the young age of 26, I took my very first head coaching job um, overseas. And as you mentioned, we, we won multiple championships. And, uh, you know, when we adopted our son, uh, just a, a fine young man out of South Central LA, his biological mom actually moved him here to Utah to uh, get him away from gun violence because he had two uncles that were shot and killed in gang violence who were only 19 and 21 years old. Um, his biological mom um, 
asked us to uh, to take him into our home, which we did. Uh, I didn't have any biological children myself. So, I mean, that's kind of a unique story in itself. But when we did that, I took that role and responsibility very seriously. He never had a father figure in his life. And uh, with me not having... Um, any biological children of my own, I wanted to do the right thing. And I, I wanted to be present in his life. And I wanted to lead and guide and direct him. And uh, basketball was actually what brought us together. And I'm, I'm happy to tell you now that, um, you know, he, he went through high school as, as an all-state player. He uh, got a scholarship and, and actually finished up with a degree in uh, business management. And he's now signed his third contract as a professional basketball player overseas. So uh, awful proud of him. But when we did that, Rick, um, I stepped away from basketball and to kind of scratch that itch, um, I would bring friends on that were my NBA friends, whether they were front office executives or NBA coaches, NBA players, college coaches, or industry uh, leaders and have them come on our show so we could kind of empower, inspire, uh, and, and hopefully allow these people to share their stories and journeys from our platform to hopefully tools in other people's toolbox so that way they too can be successful no matter what walk of life or you know what trade or what skills that they have so just been blessed that uh, that really picked up and took off for us and then when COVID hit um, we just upped the frequency of the shows I used to do it just once a week but now with uh, COVID um, Starting in early March, we actually would do four or five a week. And then I would just, like I said, had a lot of my NBA friends come on because I felt like with sports so woven into the, to our culture, sports was always a great distraction whenever there is an emergency. And, of course, with the global pandemic and with social injustice and with inequalities going on, I felt like if we could bring on these guests and allow them to share their stories and their journeys, hopefully that it would inspire other people and provide some quality entertainment and help people evolve and grow. Coach, I want to um, ask a follow-up question to that um, yeah. How tough was it? How, how tough was it of a decision was it to say, you know what, I'm going to take on, you know, a, a son. I'm going to take on a son and I'm going to, you know, move away from basketball at the time when you're making that decision. How tough of a decision was that for you? You know what? I can't say that it was tough. I feel like I'm a, I'm a spiritual person, Rick. So uh, for me to say that uh, I felt that God had his hands on that move, uh, it, I would be remiss if I didn't give God all the glory because honestly, um, it, it just felt like that was a need in my life because I didn't have that. Uh, I was either do that or I would be, you know, mentoring with big brothers, big sisters programs and, and try to help youth. But it's almost felt like just the natural fit and it just worked out so beautifully. And, you know, basketball was our bond and it was just a, just a relationship that grew from the love of, of the game of basketball. So I wanted to pour everything into him and, and again, uh, try to lead guide and direct. Um, you know, he wanted to try to play college basketball and I'm like, well, you know, I coached at that level for 14 years and then, you know, being a professional coach for 15 years, I can tell you what you need to do, but it's up to you to follow through and do those things. Um, did I miss it? 100%. Uh, am I thrilled to see my friends uh, on NBA benches continuing to have success and on college benches, uh, you know, across the nation? 100%. I'm thrilled for them, but this is just a choice that I made for myself. And uh, I have no regrets for that because it helped me also grow and evolve as a person. But yet to see, you know, our son, have all the success that he's had coming from the environment that he came from and to now see him 
um, you know, do what he loves to do and use basketball his, as his purpose. I hope that he also gives back and, uh, you know, and helps kids of youth and also, uh, you know, people within the communities as well. So for me, uh, thrilled to be a part of it, have won, you know, multiple championships, uh, coach, you know, Steph Curry, as you mentioned, who transformed the game. And, uh, you know, so for me to have had those experiences, uh, Wow, I just humbled and honored and blessed. So yeah, for me to be able to sit back and see my son where he's at now, there, there's no greater gratification or feeling uh, to see uh, a child, you know, accomplish what they've always wanted to do. I love that, Coach. I wanna, I wanna take you a little bit back. I wanna take you on a journey. Um, you know, basically through your coaching career a little bit, right? Um, okay. Okay. Let's let's hop into um the. I want to say 2000, right? So you you were coaching since the 90s. I want to say around 2000, you led a Saudi Arabia team to an undefeated oh. championship season. Um, what did you do that year? Do you rem- I don't know if you remember, but what did you? Of course. Uh, what approach did you have that year that made that team such a successful team? You know what? I actually took over. Um, Early in the season, they had a Yugoslavian coach, and that team was not meeting expectations. And uh, I had success in the Middle East already. And uh, I guess, you know, I had never been to the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. Um, It's definitely unique and different. And when they actually brought me in, uh, I actually lived right across from the uh, Osama bin Laden family compound. So that was kind of interesting. Um, you know, to be thrust in a 100% Muslim culture was also eye-opening and a growing experience to, uh, you know, see um, that religion and the, the practices of that faith. Um, again, it was great personal growth. But I remember... I remember thinking, you know, that the local players were pretty talented. So I tried to just come in and change the culture. And when I say change the culture, not change the government or their beliefs or their values, but change the culture in the way that we practiced, in the way that we prepared, in the way that we would, um, you know, get ready mentally, physically, and spiritually for contests. Because we also had to deal with them uh, with their Muslim faith that when Ramadan came up, they had to do their fasting. Uh, when games were being played, if it was during a prayer call, the game would stop. It didn't matter if it was in the middle of the third quarter with four minutes to go. If, if the prayer call came out, all players stopped. Uh, I excused myself. I went into the locker room. They would all pray and kneel down towards Mecca and pray towards Allah. And then, then the game would continue. So for me, it was just seeing and meeting those players where they were at, bringing a very professional approach to the game and also putting those players in a position to be successful. We were undefeated in that league and uh, ended up having success for the first time um, in the in the kingdom of Saudi Arabia to have outside success. And that team actually won the Asian championship that year. So very impressed for them. So that was meant, that meant that we were the number one team in all of Asia. And uh, it was neat because when we had that success, I actually got to meet the king of Saudi Arabia, Abdul Aziz and his Prince Fawad, uh, because he was actually the minister of sport in the kingdom. So uh, to meet political dignitaries like that, it was outstanding. And, uh, they came in and kind of knighted us and gave us medals for representing the kingdom uh, with, with such, uh, with such praise. So it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. And to say that, um, that you couldn't grow through that experience and take away from things like that. uh, That was just one of the neat championships that, that we won in my career. Man, that is incredible. (laughs) Yeah. I, I need to write a book one day about all the things because I also met political dignitaries, uh, in, 
uh, in Lebanon, in Beirut, Lebanon, which was one of my favorite places to play. And when you think Beirut, you think of, okay, everything that you see on MSNBC or CNN and, you know, civil war. But uh, to me, that country probably had the highest level of basketball because they were in the top 16 in the world. Um, and it was just winning that championship there, Rick. And I know you didn't ask this question, but I just thought, well, I'll just oh, touch on it. it. It was so neat because the team that I coached was Muslim-based. The team that was the seven-time reigning champion was Christian-based. The president of the country backed their team. The prime minister of the country supported our team. So when you mix sport, religion, and politics, let me tell you, baby, that was something, <laughs> that was something special right there. And we, we won that championship. And uh, – that gym that we played in was right along the Mediterranean Sea. And it would kind of remind you analogy of like Cameron Indoor where Duke plays because the fans were just phenomenal. There'd be 6,000 fans and they're standing and they're cheering and they're chanting and they're jumping. But yet what was so cool, it was almost like general admissions. It was first come first served. It was completely packed, but yet there'd be 3000 people outside the arena waiting for us to walk out. And when we had success, they would carry us, on their shoulders for hours, you know, just carrying us. And, and what, what, a, what an amazing, amazing experience to win a championship there as well. And uh, coming from the state of Indiana, it was neat to be in a foreign country where they loved basketball that much because usually in foreign countries, soccer is the number one sport. But in Lebanon, basketball was definitely number one at that time. They carried you on their shoulders, Coach? Okay. I, I've got some pictures I'll have to email you. It was phenomenal. <laughs> phenomenal. Golly, God, what does that feel like? That's incredible. That, that's incredible. Okay, Coach, um, now, now look, I, I, that's such a high, right? Like, that's such a high. I want to know, okay, so in, in summer 2007, um, you're an NBA um, assistant head coach, right? In a, in a summer league, I believe. Um, so how did it feel to get that opportunity after coaching overseas for so many years? You know what? Um, for me, I was asked by one of my best friends in the industry. I grew up in the state of Indiana and Keith Smart is a legend at Indiana University because he is actually the gentleman who hit the winning jump shot to beat Syracuse at the Superdome in 1983. Mm. Um, and so, you know, having that relationship with him, he invited me when my season was over to come over and, and help him with the summer league team. So to be on the floor, uh, to guide and, and instruct and teach and, you know, rebound for the fellas and spend time and, and listen to the staff and be a part of their, um, you know, decision-making processes. It was phenomenal and it was very rewarding for me to be around that elite level of players. But you also have to remember, um, you know, being a head coach overseas where, yes, the NBA is the highest level of basketball and is the most well-known because you look at what Michael Jordan did by taking the game global and the 92 mm. dream team that basically globalized the game, but yet raised everybody else's game. So to be a head coach overseas with many of these players from Europe and Latin America and Asia that end up finding their way with, to, you know, into the NBA, those were all phenomenal experiences, but to be uh, there with a friend of mine and um, him allowing me the opportunity to be on the court and work with the NBA players, it was just very rewarding because it also reassured me that we were doing the right thing. Um, people took notice of the success that we had. They also knew that I was a great teacher uh, and a great communicator and allowed me to help develop those, those young players trying to make NBA rosters. 
Coach, you came from, like I said, like a real big high, right? And then going to to be an assistant coach, right, with the NBA, it did it, did it feel like you were taking um, like a, a little bit of a lesser role um, in order to advance your career? Not at all. That, that's in the NBA Summer League. So um, it's very, very competitive. These young men are out there. There's usually, um, you know, rookies and sophomores uh, in that NBA Summer League. There's players coming in that's being invited to uh, try to earn a roster spot. So um, the level is very, very good. Marketability is is on the rise because somebody could come into a camp and really showcase their skills and go from a, you know, a $600,000 a year player to a $6 million a year player. So it's a very competitive environment. Uh, and for me just to be on that level with a great friend of mine who allowed me to come in, um, I was just humbled. Uh, I, I took every step and tried to learn something on every step that we took to continue to practice my philosophies, to continue to network and build, um, you know, on what we were doing. And then, you know, taking those experiences and the things that I learned from the NBA coaches and strength coaches and nutrition. Um, and then, you know, going back overseas as a head coach, I think those were all just to, uh, evolve as a as as a coach and as a person coach in 2008 you were able to observe and consult with Jerry Sloan and his team how did that opportunity to come about um and and then tell me what did you gain from that experience well once again um honored I mean Jerry Sloan 23 years as the head coach of an NBA franchise that doesn't happen very often uh, 1,223 wins at the NBA level, uh, a Hall of Famer. Um, I was the head coach of a minor league team right here in Salt Lake City uh, that had actually folded. And uh, when that when that happened, I actually went over. Donnie Nelson Jr. of the uh, Dallas Mavericks actually sent me over to China, and I coached in China in Jilin, and then came back. Got married and then when we didn't have a head coaching job Jerry Sloan knew that I was coaching this team here locally we got to know each other and he invited me to come in and observe and consult with him and be around his staff every day for two years it was like being in a clinic Rick um, he was he was old school and it was refreshing because he didn't allow the tail to wag the dog. Uh, he didn't care if you were the number one man on the roster or number 15 on the roster. Um, he, he wanted your focus. He wanted you to work extremely hard. Uh, he demanded uh, that you respect the game. He wanted you to have your shirt tucked in, socks pulled up and uh, shake his hand when, when you walked in that door and be ready to go to work. And so it reinforced a lot of the uh, philosophies that I had, uh, but just to be around, him for two years and see him interacting with the players, learning from his assistants. Uh, Phil Johnson was his assistant coach for all 23 years, which to me is a great story of loyalty. Uh, and then Ty Corbin at the time, who was a former NBA player, uh, he worked with the big man, Scott Layden, uh, who was the former general manager of the New York Knicks. He was the assistant coach, which was Frank Layden's son, who was you know G general manager of the year here with the Utah Jazz. Um, and then, matter of fact, Jeff Hornacek was the shooting coach with that group. So to be around that staff, you know, every day for two years, um, man, I, I had my notebook out. I'm taking mm. notes every day. And like I'm saying, it was, it was just such an honor and privilege to, uh, 
you know, be allowed that opportunity. Uh, so like I'm saying, I, I tried to take advantage of it, soak everything up like a sponge and take notes and treat it just like I was in a clinic every day. Cause even seeing how he handled the press and, uh, you know, he was just a, a good Midwest guy. Like I am, I'm, I'm from Indiana. He was from Illinois. So to see him off the court and away from the game, he was just a very giving kind person that a lot of people didn't even get to hear about. And I think about all the success that Jerry Sloan had in the NBA. It's almost like kind of like LeBron James right now. He's so good. And we take that greatness for, for granted because, you know, we're, we're just so used to seeing his success every year where he can win, um, you know, an MVP every year. And then Jerry Sloan never once won coach of the year and you think man the longevity and the consistency that he did it it was just phenomenal so just trying to throw out some nuggets there for comparisons for you know the people who are listening because um it was truly phenomenal rick and i'm grateful that um jerry took the time to just pick up the phone and invite me in to allow me those opportunities i i i could never thank him enough for those opportunities I love that, man. That's that's incredible. That's incredible. I mean, look, talking to you is just an amazing experience itself because I'm learning <laughs> a lot too, right? I, there's there's a lot of stuff that that goes into um, just kind of understanding coaching, understanding perspective of coaching, right? And it's just so much that goes into it. Um, and then I can understand opportunities and mentorship, and you've taken yeah. full advantage of mentorship, and I think that's amazing. You, you have to. And see, those are the kind of insights that I like to share on my show. We live stream it on Facebook. Um, if you go to Facebook, uh, you know, you, you just find me at, you know, at the Coach Scott Field Show, which I think it's facebook.com um, backslash coach SF. And then also our YouTube channel, we're starting to pick, pick up uh, more content on there. And there again, it's just, uh, you know, the coach Scott field show on YouTube. And of course I've got my stuff over my shoulder here where, you know, my, my social media platforms where, you know, Twitter is just Scott underscore fields. And then Instagram is just coach Scott Fields. So um, if I'm ever in a position where I can help somebody, um, you know, people have, have thrown me many life jackets along my, in my journey. So if I can, you know, help somebody and help them grow. Uh, I, I'm usually the first one to, to do that because I've been so honored and humbled to have been blessed with great people in my life that, man, if I can help someone, I mean, just like yourself, look what you're doing and look at the job that you do with the show that you're doing. I'm honored to be on here with you because I see a passion and I see a purpose with what you're doing. And I'm just grateful that, you know, that you brought me on. So thank you. And you're helping us grow right now, Coach. I appreciate you. <laughs> oh, you bet, man. That's, hey, that's what this is all about, right? We, we got to lift each other up constantly. There, there's enough negativity and cynicism in the world where we got to lift and, and, and help pull each other up all the time. That, that's how we grow and evolve. Absolutely. Coach, in, in summer 2009, you find yourself coaching a, a young Steph Curry. Ooh. And that's, that's incredible. What did you see in him at that stage that hinted at the greatness we, we're seeing now? Great question, Rick. Um, and, and I love the research that you've done prior to the show. It just shows me how professional you are. Um, once again, it was with coach Keith Smart. Um, he was with the Golden State Warriors and he allowed me to come out. Um, I go in there. He had just been drafted, um, I think, number seven uh, from Davidson. You saw a young man uh, with a lot of confidence. You knew that he had uh, an incredible support system. Um, you know, he had his mom and dad. His dad was in the league for several years. Uh, he, 
but kind of like, you know, Kobe Bryant over my shoulder with that Mamba mentality. I saw a thirst for knowledge, very, very humble, very, very coachable. Um, I, here I was again, just a guy who had, you know, multiple years of coaching experience overseas, won championships, new on the block, you know, coming in, in the summer, um, you know, they had their staff there, but yet he would walk up to me and approach me and be like, coach, what do you think about, you know, be coming off that screen? You know, where should my shoulders be, you know, with my footwork? So with him asking me those questions, I would be detailed and give him responses. Um, I think great players want to be coached. They want to be challenged and they want to be held accountable. And he is definitely that. Um, He's Christ-like. He's faith-driven, which I also respect. But just the fact that he's so humble and that he had that thirst for knowledge as a Kobe Bryant did because Kobe Bryant wanted to be just like a Michael Jordan. So anybody that he could learn from who was around Michael Jordan, he would pick their brain. Same thing with Steph Curry. Um, another trait I thought he did a great job with, Rick, is – I think he did a good job of having laser-like focused on his goal. There's a lot of cynicism in the NBA because once you get there, then all these scouts and all these pundits and all the media will tell you all the things you can't do. So it's like white noise. You have to block that out and be calloused and say, okay, this is who I am. This is my skill set. This is what I bring. And then just – hours and hours of muscle memory and repetition uh, with that quick release on that jump shot. Um, come on, he transformed the game and has evolved the game into what you see today because now you see other teams trying to emulate what the Golden State Warriors did with the, with the space and pace and unselfish play. But again, that's a credit to Steph Curry, to his character, because he was so selfless. It wasn't about him. He took a step back when KD came in and allowed KD to get more shots, but yet he still shined. Um, it's steel sharpened steel. And w one man's candle does not go out when you light another man's flame. And he's good at igniting another man's flame and, you know, being selfless and playing team organized basketball. And uh, I, I still see great things for him when he comes back from this surgery. And I was just honored to, uh, you know, see him, you know, doing many things because I got to coach him twice. I coached him with the Golden State Warriors. And then we had an NBA charity event right here in Salt Lake City. Um, where we were raising money uh, for, for a local charity with people with disabilities. And Steph was with my team then. And I think he had 44 points that night in a charity event, but yet he stayed and he signed everybody's autographs and he took photos with people. I've got a picture with him with my adopted son, who I think he might've been 15 at the time. So just for him to take the time, uh, you know, to, to give to the people um, that that's something that I admire because he was never entitled. Um, he, I, I think he just, that humbleness was something that was just truly, truly respectable. And I, I carry that with me every day because I just respect so much. And then I also see the things that he does um, at active faith sport wear. I also yeah. had Anthony Tolliver as a guest on my show recently. He, they're, they're best friends and they're both again, um, faith-based and uh you know just little things like that that you don't hear about that he's so giving to the communities that um we we need more people like that in the game to you know to help the game evolve and it's such a brand and you you gotta love that kind of brand from that kind of an individual yeah steph curry's been amazing um i'm a part of the christian hip-hop community and, nice. Um, okay. Yeah. I, you know, I get down a little bit. But oh, um, okay. are you are you, you going to freestyle for me? I Come will on, not. Go I will on. Not, okay. Coach. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Today's your time right. to shine, Coach. But, oh, I don't know about that. Come on. Hey, come on. Like we we'll say, we got to rise together. 
I'll give, <laughs> I'll give you a little something. Come on, man. Let's go. <laughs> so, so I've seen Steph Curry in so many of those videos. He, he's actually supporting guys on this side. So he supports guys like, I don't know if you heard of Bizzle. He supports guys like Bizzle. He supports guys like Lecrae. Um, him and I think uh, his daughter and Lecrae got on a, a call together. Um, he's been a big part of the Christian hip hop community, just like behind people. Chance, Chance the Rapper, all those guys. Yeah, yeah. And just in supporting them. And so I love Steph Curry's way. I love the way the way he kind of operates and his humility. And I think those are things that, um, you know, that you saw and those are things that people who are fan of his, they still see to this day. Right. I have a question, though. Looking around the league, do you see any more of those guys? Like, who reminds you of a young Steph Curry? You know, I it's like being a parent. You can't look at your kids and have a favorite kid. You just love them for who they are and, and you know, enjoy the great gifts that they bring. So I hear a lot of people always say, oh, you know, who's the next LeBron? Who's the next Michael Jordan? Who's the next Kobe Bryant? You know what? We need to just appreciate their greatness and what they bring and, you know, let them be who they are. I mean, you look at Zion Williamson. I know you got his jersey hanging right over your shoulder. A phenomenal athlete. Let, let's pray that he can stay healthy uh, because, I mean, the league needs a face like that. You know, once LeBron decides that he's going to retire, um, you know, Ja Morant um, is another exciting rookie who does a great job. Luka Doncic, everybody's like, oh, man, Luka, where did Luka come from? I'm not surprised. He was the MVP of the Euro League before he ever got here. So for people to be like, oh, my gosh, he came from nowhere. No, that boy was balling even before he got here. It's, it's like, uh, give me, okay, here's here's little older generation, but the Backstreet Boys in NSYNC, they worked on their skills and craft over in Germany before they ever exploded here in the United States. And it's the same thing. Luka Doncic did the same thing. He was killing the league. And if you did your homework as a scout, as again, I, I mentioned Donnie Nelson Jr. Hey, he knew what Luka's skills were to bring him in. And that guy also, even though people think he's not as athletic, he is, but you, you look at Jaw with a smaller frame and athletic and explosive. Luca is doing those and he looks like it's slow, but he's also on a six eight, six nine frame with a bigger body. So of course, aesthetically it looks slower, but yet he still has such a high skill set and he's very cerebral. These guys are fun players to watch. We just need to embrace it and enjoy it and uh, you know, appreciate them for who they are. But great question though. I love it. So coach, okay. Now after after coaching and playing at almost every level, is being an NBA head coach still a part of your plans? Like, do you, do you see that as possibly as a goal one day? If that spot ever opened up for you, would you take it? Great question. And, and you notice I'm a little hesitant to I answer. Do. I see it. I, I, um, if I was around the right people in the right organization with the right support systems and synergy in place from a management and ownership – I, I would be lying to you if I told you I wouldn't jump at the opportunity. Um, but to find those situations with great people that you can surround yourself with and, and have autonomy to, you know, pick and choose who you want to be with because, you know, you got salary caps and, and all kinds of other things that you have to look at. But if the opportunity came, you better believe it because I look at my friends now who are on NBA benches and who are having great success and former friends of mine who have been, on, been in those opportunities. Look at Nick Nurse right now. I coached against Nick Nurse over in Italy, and I see the things that he's doing, and I'm so proud of him because – 
I mean, he and I are very similar and have the same mold. So for me to see the success that he's having, it just makes me proud. And, you know, again, he was a G League guy, minor league, who, who you know, paved his way. He was also overseas. I look at Mike D'Antoni, who was also overseas and came over and had great success. So I'm just happy for those guys who have get, were given the opportunity. And if the good Lord sees me to be that right fit mm -hmm. in some place, it's his will. And if it happens, I promise I'll pour everything into it and lead, guide, and direct those players to help develop them and make them marketable and that's exactly what i would do but hey we pray about it and if that's where the lord needs me that's that's where we'll be that coach i understand that's that's a humble way to answer that question man that's <laughs> well it, it's but it's but i also believe that too because i i have a job now where you know i get to be with my wife all the time mm -hmm. i get to see my son grow and he, now that he's you know going to go overseas and, and play on his third contract yeah i have that itch but right now I, I also work for the state of utah and i work with people with disabilities so i feel like i'm doing god's work and i get to be a voice for those people who don't have a voice and i get to advocate and provide mobility and accessibility for those with mental and physical disabilities, which too is also very important work. Now, is it something that is uh, on TV and all that? No, but you know what? It's just as gratifying to be able to provide quality of life for those individuals because I've been blessed on my journey. And again, in the right situation, if it happened, yeah, it would be great. Yes, sir. Okay. So um, on, a, on a show recently, you said that if they uh, if if the NBA were giving out the Rookie of the Year award right now, right, it should go to John Morant. Um, in your opinion, what does Zion have to do? And I, I'm asking this question for my nephew. My nephew loves Zion Williamson. What's your nephew's name? Colin. Colin. Okay, Colin. This is for you, Colin. Yep. All right, cool. So here we go. This is for Colin, man. All right, so here's what he's asking. What would Zion have to do to win the award? Okay, Colin. Zion is – obviously a box office thriller. I mean, he is the reason why Adam Silver extended it to 22 teams in the first place down in the bubble so we can see a phenomenal talent like him. Uh, but with the body of work that happened this year and with his injury and with only the number of games that Zion played, you have to look at Ja, ja Morant right now. He has, in a strong Western Conference, he has the Grizzlies in eighth place right now. Now, I know Jaw and his group is only a few games behind them, and they have a very tough schedule. Matter of fact, they're going to tip it off here against the Utah Jazz here in a little bit. So uh, I feel like for the media who's going to be voting, if he finishes strong and can get the Pelicans into a playoff seat and they can have success in the playoffs, it's, it's like Janet Jackson. What have you done for me lately? I think <laughs> he would get some love and voters and people in the press would be like, you know what? Jodies are, are, you know, Zion deserves it. So that's just an honest answer coming from a guy with an NBA lens and perspective and knowing how the system works. Um, I mean, I know that's a, you know, a cultural reference. I love me some Janet Jackson back in the day, but it is true. What have you done for me lately? And if you, if he can come out on fire and lead and that team have success and they get into the playoffs and let's say something crazy happens with jaw and they don't make the playoffs, he's going to get more exposure. He's going to get more airtime. And that's what would get Zion, um, mm. you know, a rookie of the year vote. But right now I'd have to say with the body of work, you know, as of March 11th, 
you know, before COVID shut it down, you would have to give it to John. That's just being honest. He's going to have to, so he's basically going to have to play him for it. Play it in, baby. Play it, play it in. in. I calling that, calling that's for you. I'm just trying to be honest. I hope I didn't burst your bubble, but <laughs> hey, that's just that's just keeping a 100 right there. I love it, <laughs> Coach. Um, speaking of bubbles, good segue, Coach. So, Coach, inside the bubble, um, now we have one of the most unique situations that I've ever seen in NBA history. Um, if you were coaching a team in the bubble, what would be your approach? You know what? These are unprecedented times. These are things that none of us have ever had. And we are living history to what this and how it's going to be written 15, 20 years from now. And for our grandkids, we're going to have stories to tell, right? Mm -hmm. So with this NBA bubble, and I hear people all saying, oh my gosh, it's going to be an asterisk year. And, you know, whoever, whoever <laughs> wins, you know, the MVP or whoever, you know, is going to win a championship, there needs to be an asterisk by it because, you know, there was a four month delay. You know what? Kudos to whoever can win this NBA championship because to me it's one of the tougher championships that has ever had to be won because no time has we ever had a four-month break where mm -hmm. it's almost a whole new season coming into this playoff stretch. So I feel like Adam Silver is by far the best major sports commissioner in the nation. Mm -hmm. um, his foresight, um, he, he listens and surrounds himself with people with data with science to be educated before he rushes to a decision, which I think is great. He also has a great skill of listening to the players and allowing them to use this as a platform to continue with the social injustice, with the police brutality, um, all that. So for, to me, to see all the steps they did to take every precaution necessary to keep these players safe and healthy so they can entertain our nation, which we desperately need. Kudos to Adam Silver. Um, if I was coaching in this bubble, I think you would have to be patient uh, as a coach. These guys are very competitive. This is what they do. Uh, they're caged tigers right now. They can't wait to get out there and perform and to be off for four months you know what? It's like taking a Ferrari and going from zero to 200 in six seconds. Mm. You have to allow the body to get used to playing at that high level. And these guys are so competitive. You don't want these players to get injured because they haven't played for four months. Yes, they have been working out. Yes, they have had trainers. Yes, uh, you know, they've been on their you know, individual courts. But you cannot emulate game speed. You cannot emulate game physicality. Um, so hopefully we go into this slowly and that's why they've had these scrimmage games to kind of let these guys get acclimated, get their legs underneath them. But let's not also dilute the brand and the entertainment value of the game with nagging injuries that can come along with trying to go from zero to 200 too quick with, because, you know, hamstrings, groins, uh, Achilles, you know, these these guys need to crawl before they walk, walk before they run. So we're in the crawl stage, getting to the walk stage um, tonight. You know, it is for real. The restart gets going. I'm excited to see it. Uh, I'm energized for it. But as coaches, you have to be patient and you have to have open, honest dialogue with these players. And you may have to harness some of them and pull them and slow them down. So that way they can build up because for whoever is going to win a championship, it's going to be three months down there in this mm -hmm. bubble. And you have to take care of yourself to be able to get to that level. Now, good Lord willing, there won't be a COVID out spread, you know, outbreak 
within that bubble mm. because yes, we need to take care of the players because they're putting their lives in jeopardy. All the workers at the Disney resorts are putting their life in jeopardy by coming in and out. So hopefully it's going to be something safe and healthy. And I saw what just yesterday, you know, two, 363 players were tested, zero positive cases, phenomenal job NBA for providing that bubble coaches be patient fans also be a little bit patient it's going to you know these guys are trying to get their chemistry they haven't played together for a while so the play may be a little bit sloppy but you're going to see some good things from some good teams and I'm sure we have further questions about that as well but we just have to be patient with not seeing the level that we saw on March 11th before everything was shut down true um because things are so different now because the level of focus is necessary here um I want you to predict a little bit for me coach Ooh, okay, um, bring out the crystal ball. Here we go. Here we go. Uh, in your opinion, who comes out of the East as the Eastern Conference champion? Well, right now you've got Giannis, who I feel is the MVP before COVID-19. Um, they've got the number one record in the league. Now, some people will say, well, yeah, the East is a little bit softer. Uh, but right now they are there. And I feel like they are the team to knock off. But Again, I just mentioned Nick Nurse. I feel like Nick Nurse should be candidate for coach of the year because everybody wrote the Toronto Raptors off because when Kawhi left, they thought, okay, it's going to be a big rebuild. No, they continued to buy in. You got Pascal Siakam, who was most improved player last year, and who could be most improved player again this year because of what he's done with the keys to the franchise and allowing him more shot opportunities with Fred Van Fleet and Kyle Lowry, who just quietly goes about his business and I feel like he would get more national attention if he played in a larger market and got more TV exposure, but great job by Nick nurse. But yet look at those teams with young legs right now is Philadelphia. Are they going to get it put back together is Boston? Are they going to be able to make a run at it because they have young youthful legs out there. It's going to be fun to see, but right now I kind of like Giannis and that Milwaukee team because they've got depth. Um, They've got, you know, is Chris Middleton going to be that, you know, number two guy, but who's going to be the number three guy. That's the only question I have for them. So uh, right now I just lean a little bit, not just because they're number one in the league right now, but you know, it also gave everybody on that team time to get their legs underneath them, get healthy, uh, you know, re energize themselves and let's see how they put it all together uh, starting here this week. All right. Let's talk West coach. West coast, baby. All right. Well, LeBron's right there. Come on. Once again, you can't take away from his greatness. He's leading the league in assists. I think he's right behind Giannis for MVP consideration. And if the Lakers were number one in, uh, with the number one record, I'd have to say, okay, give it to LeBron. But we love winners. And right now, March 11th, Giannis was in that spot. So I like the Lakers. I definitely like uh, what the Clippers are bringing. And the reason I like what the Clippers bring is think about it. They're going to be playing on a neutral site. And when you're on a neutral site, that's like an away game. And when you have an away game, you have to rely on your role players and you have to rely on your bench and you have to rely on your defense. And what do the Clippers have? They have depth. They play defense. They get up in you. And they have great role players who know and understand their role because you got two guys, Montrez and Lou, who could be six man of the year. Now, if a big man gets in foul trouble early, Montrez comes in and he gives you that energy. And, he, you know, he's 
great defender, but he's got that high motor that just doesn't stop. And then you got Lou who just, he's a walking bucket. He's going to give you 30 if he needs to. So I like what the Clippers bring, but yet look at the teams like Portland, you know, you got two seven footers who are coming back that uh, with a backcourt of Damian Lillard who played right up the road here at Weber state in Utah. And then you got CJ McCollum who are very dangerous. So with them all healthy, they may sh- sneak up on somebody and get with somebody, <laughs> but then you look at, okay, is small ball and an up tempo game with Houston Rockets. Is that going to be effective? I think the jazz could have been, you know, competitive had Boyan Bogdanovich not got hurt, but with him, with that spacing and the way he shoots, I think that hurts them a little bit. So um, it's going to be fun, but also watch for guys like Devin Booker who don't get a lot of national attention. That boy can play. Yeah. um, Now, now do I think Phoenix could win a championship? No, but what I'm saying is they're young, they're exciting. They're going to be fun to watch and they're going to be competitive. So we got to sit back, lace them up and have a little fun letting them entertain us doing what they do. I love it. I love it. Okay, cool. So, so we got multiple candidates in the West, multiple candidates coming out these. If you had to say this person wins it all, or this team wins it all, what team is that? If you look at them on paper, and for the same reasons that I just gave you, I like the Clippers because they've got that defense and they've got that bench. And now you think about it. This is a marathon stretch right here. I feel like it, I feel like, you know, how much energy does LeBron James have to ex- expend to get to the Western Conference Finals. Can they close teams out in a four-game series? Or is it going to take five games, six games? That's what's going to be interesting to see. How is J.R. Smith going to fit into that mold? Um, you know, I, I like what Dwight Howard's doing. I like what JaVale McGee I, I like what they do with their length. They've got AD, another defensive player of the year candidate. I mean, come on. They're going to be fun. I'm just curious if he can get to the finals – you know, with a couple four and O's or, you know, four games to one, I think that will save his energy. But if it takes multiple games for them to get there, I think the bench depth that the Clippers have can possibly wear them down. Mm. So that's going to be interesting to see. So uh, if I had a crystal ball right now, I just really like what the Clippers bring to the table. And if they stay healthy from COVID, and if they stay healthy from injuries, which as a coach, those are tangible you don't control let's see how it all plays out because every day i mean this is reality tv at its best it's going to play out right in front of everybody's eyes and every day it's going to be something different um some people some players are having to go home some some wives are going to have babies um some people may have to leave for an emergency somebody might get covid somebody might pull a hamstring how many games do they miss so all those things are going to play uh, a vital role in who's going to go make a run at this championship but when you have bench and you have depth and you get after it defensively uh there's some good things that can happen for those clippers coach as a as a lakers fan and as a pelicans fan, <laughs> i broke your heart and, didn't I? <laughs> and as a hawks fan it's it's really disappointing, Coach. <laughs> you know LeBron is going to have his team mentally prepared, and he looks energized. I know he's been in the league multiple years. Um, he's going to step up and do what it takes for his team to win because you know what? He knows the pressures that are there. He has may Kobe rest in peace, but he also has that burden on his shoulders as well to give 
the Laker fans what they have been so hungry for because they have not been a playoff team for many years. He's got AD, his boy, right there. He's got several pieces that are there with him that he wanted because you know he's in, in management's ear. So I look for LeBron to, to do great things and, and be competitive and, and have those Lakers in a very competitive spot. I just hope that they can stay injury-free. And, again, how much energy does he expend to get him to the finals? Coach, um, this is we're going to take a little bit of a turn here. We talked a little bit about um, this. This is how we met, right? So this is how we kind of started interacting and engaging with each other. I posted something on Facebook where I talked about the top five recruits. Uh, well, some, some of the um, uh, five-star recruits in the United States, considering HBCUs or historically black colleges and universities um, as their schools of choice, right? Uh, we have uh, Maker. Maker just chose Howard, which was, you know, shocking to a lot of people. And then we have, like, news that Le- LeBron James's son, we just talked about LeBron, his son is considering an HBCU as well. Um, do you believe that we could see stuff like this in the future based on the political climate we're in right now, based on what's going on in the world? Um, and then based on what those schools offer, do you believe that we can possibly see um, guys like Bronny James, you know, go to a school like an HBCU? I'm going to give you two words, Rick. Why not? <laughs> you know what? With the way that the current climate is right now with the way that the NCAA is very reactionary and they're falling behind and there's been so much exploitation of these athletes where they're making millions and billions of dollars off of players likenesses why wouldn't a player choose to go to an HBCU where they can be integrated right into the culture, uh, get an education with that cultural diversity uh, woven within that fabric. I say, why not? I feel like that could be a positive thing because yeah, you've got your traditional blue bloods, uh, your Dukes, your Kentuckys, uh, your Kansases who are traditionally rich every year, but these players are showing right now they're in control of their destinies and I applaud it. I think it's great. If you're talented, scouts is global. The technology that we have, you're going to be found. You don't have to go to a high profile university, you know, just for the most exposure. If you have talent and you help your team win, why not? Now I know it's not an HBCU, but look, Look at little tiny Marquette before they were everything. Mm. Look what D. Wade did, taking them to the Final Four. If you have talent, people will follow. And if you can play, TV will follow. So with those players choose to go that route, I applaud it. I think it's wonderful. I say congratulations. Honor that decision and make it work for you. I say great. Awesome. Awesome. And and again, I also say that because as I told you before, my son is African-American. I want to be able to stand side by side, walk with him. And I hope that when my grandkids are born, that we don't have injustice. We have Mm -hmm. equality and that my grandkids and my great grandkids can grow up in a society where everybody is treated the same. So I pray for those things as well. So, um, I'm one of those guys who I know I am Caucasian, but I also challenge my Caucasian uh, brethren and say, you know what? We are the ones that have to make the change. We are the ones that are making the laws right now. I challenge all my white friends to get out there and push for this change because that is what is needed so we can have equality. There is systemic racism prevalent in our nation and you are blind to it. If you're trying to look, uh, you know what? Don't turn a deaf ear to it. Sit back and listen. 
you know what? Don't turn a blind eye to it. Look at what's going on. Thank goodness that we have social media that is capturing these things on camera right now because for years and for decades, people wanted to turn an eye to it and say, oh, that's not my problem. I didn't see it. I don't believe it. And that good old boy network, they took care of each other. But with cameras out there recording everything, George Floyd, may he rest in peace. I am glad that that happened. We should never take another life for that to 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 make this evolve into the movement that it has, but I'm glad it happened. And I say Caucasian people out there, let's get change. November, get out and vote, put people into your local offices, put people into the national offices who are going to listen and speak for us, for our democracy. So we can have the change that we need to evolve and have a peaceful har harmony, wonderful society for everyone to grow in. Coach, do you have any idea why it would be um, hard to get that message across? Like, it, and I've heard this, I've heard this message, but it seems like it's not always received, right? How, yeah. why is it so hard to get that message across too? And I'm, I'm a Christian, you're a Christian, right? We have Christian brothers and sisters, right? Who just are not receiving this message, don't want to hear this message. Why is it so hard for this message to be received? You know what? I think they're very conservative with their thoughts. I think they're afraid to have change. I think people are comfortable in their little islands and in their little comfort zones and they they afraid if they have too much change it scares them so for me i say you know what get out of your comfort zone quit surrounding yourself with just like-minded people get out and have conversations with other people because you know what it's not so much black or right it's wrong or right so you know what let's do what's right let's get out and see what's going on around the world let's quit Quit just closing your door and pretending things aren't happening around you because you don't want to believe it. You know what? That, that's all part of growth. And uh, for those people who are struggling with it, those are the ones who, who are probably the most racist. And we have to hold those people accountable just as well. So sometimes, you know, it's going to get worse before it gets better. But at least we're having those conversations. At least we're seeing peaceful protests that are going on around the nation. And I'm glad to see as many Caucasian people with those walks uh, with people of color to try to have this change because I feel like the millennials and this younger generation, they see it, they know it. And to me, racism is a learned behavior. We don't grow up hating each other. It's taught, it's learned. Quit teaching that behavior. Mm. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you. I appreciate Oh, I appreciate come on. I'm speaking on that from question, the heart there. I'm speaking yes, from the heart. Now, it may not be the most popular thing, and I could probably lose friends over that, but if that's the case, it's like Facebook. It's superficial anyway. You know what? People put out there what they, what they, how they want to project themselves, but this is real talk and real conversation. So thanks for allowing me to speak on it. Yes, sir. Yes, hopefully, sir. we can get this word out. Let's share the content, and hopefully, it'll snowball. And look, we're, I'm a part of several different groups that are out trying to do the same thing, right? Trying to share the word, trying to, I've been on several podcasts myself, right? As an interviewee, nice. um, just talking about this issue, um, addressing this issue, especially for Christians. And, and that's why I, I ask you that question specifically for, for us, because we're charged, right? We're charged with what's right, right and what's wrong. For those who are outside of the faith, that's different. Right. Like, like, I mean, I'm not saying that they don't have responsibility. I'm just saying we have a heart charge. To yeah. Do you know, it's, it's about, it's about integrity. It's about character. Like I said, it's, it's about wrong and right. And we know what's right in our heart. So we have to use this momentum that we have right now and continue to push forward because, you know, 
actions always speak louder than words. We can sit here and say anything, but if we don't go out and vote, if we don't take action in our communities, if we don't say, you know, this is wrong and challenge people and show them that that is wrong, then we are also at fault. So for us, hey, again, let's uh, steal, sharpen, steal, and let's get out there and do what's right. Yes, sir. All right, now we're going we're gonna to hop to a, a much lighter note. I have these quick hitters for you. You ready? Okay, quick hitters. Hey, I, I ran a lot of quick hitters as offenses, so <laughs> it's, it's getting the ball in the right people's hand at the right time, so let's, let's come with it. Here we go. All right, so look, um, I have 14 questions here, but we're not going to answer all of them. You're going to give me a number. I'm going to tell you the question that's associated with that number, and then you give me the first thing that comes to your mind. We'll go with seven of them, and then you just tell me the first thing that comes to your mind. Go for it, Coach. Okay, so you said there's 14. One through 14. Okay, let's go number seven. Lucky number seven. Awesome. Favorite place to visit while you were coaching in China? Oh, great question. Um, Definitely Shanghai. Uh, It's a neat city. Of course, you know, what they consider a small city is 8 million people. (laughs) But uh, it was was interesting. It was was pretty. Um, It was fairly modern. Uh, It was close, you know, the air quality was a little bit better, but great question. I got to go Shanghai. I'll try to keep them short-winded because I, I get long-winded. Here we go, Coach. All right, you still got you got one through 14. What you got? Give me 10. 10. Here we go. Your favorite coach to study? Oh, there's so many of them. Great question. Um, right now in the game, uh, you know, I coached at a junior college that was number five in the nation. And a guy who was coaching the Indiana Pacers, Nate McMillan, played at that junior college. I really like how Nate McMillan gets the best out of that Indiana Pacers squad. Uh, he's a friend. I think he does a great job. Victor Oladipo is going to be coming back. But I love me some Nate McMillan. But there's so many of them because, like I said, I'm friends with Nick Nurse. I, I love what Malone does. I think Frank Vogel doesn't get enough credit. Uh, Brad Stevens is from Indiana like I am. I think he does a masterful job. Uh, but right now I just got to go with Nate McMillan. Okay. Okay. Love it. Love it. All right. Give me another one. Let's go. Number one, baby. Number one. Okay. One of the best players that we, the people in the United States have never heard of. Ooh, definitely from Lebanon. Fatty El Khatib. Uh, I actually brought him over here to the United States for the NBA summer league to both the Lakers and the Clippers. The Clippers actually wanted to sign him, but he could not get out of his contract with his current club. Uh, to me, definitely the best player in all of Asia, even though Yao Ming was the number one pick by the Houston Rockets. If you go on YouTube and you search Fatty El Khatib, that guy is a six foot six bull who could flat out score. He defends. He was strong. His nickname was Tiger, and that boy could ball. Fatty Katie. <laughs> yes, sir. Dude, hey, I know people love to do uh, YouTube. Get on YouTube and see Fatty Katib out of Lebanon. You guys will be like, man, that skinny bald coach knew what he was talking about. <laughs> 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 he could play, Rick. That boy could go. Man, cool, cool, cool. Give me another one. Give me another number. Oh gosh, let's see. I said one, seven, ten. Let's go. Uh, let's go twelve. We got twelve here. Okay. One funny encounter with the NBA star. Oh, <laughs> there's so many of them. Uh, I guess one recently. Again, I was with my buddy Keith Smart. He was with the Sacramento Kings at the time. DeMarcus Cousins were sitting mm-hmm. on the bus. We went through the shoot around. My wife had made some cookies uh, for Coach Smart. And, you know, they were, I, I wanted to say they were snickerdoodles or something. 
DeMarcus Cousins comes sitting up. He sits right over my shoulder, and he goes, hey, coach, uh, them cookies look pretty good. Can I have one of them cookies? <laughs> and, and, I, and I looked over at Keith, and Keith goes, yeah, go right ahead. DeMarcus grabs one of them cookies. He takes a bite. He sits back and he goes, boy, coach, your wife put her foot in them cookies. <laughs> now, to me, that was just classic DeMarcus that people don't get to know. But it was just a funny interaction. And I tell that story often. So uh, I, I hope that it's entertaining for you. <laughs> I love it, man. <laughs> You're I, from the South, so you understand. Oh, of course, man. What, what, I, what I wanted from DeMarcus Cousins was I wanted him to be a part of this Lakers squad because that just takes them over the edge. Yes. Now, and I don't know if we'll even get a chance to get that in. Um, I hear you. Let, let's hope that he can recover and have an opportunity because he's come a long way as, as, as a man. He has. He has. We got three more, Coach. Which you okay, let's go, let's go number two. Number two. Here we go. All right. So you've actually mentored a few people or, or at least consulted with a few people. Um, Tony Kukoc is one of those guys. Um, yes, what was, yes. What was your first impression of Tony Kukoc? Tony, playing overseas. Matter of fact, we actually shared the same agent. His name was Lucky Capiccioni. Uh, he was the agent for many European stars that came over and played in the NBA. He had Arvita Sabonis. He, he had uh, Peja Stoyakovic. He had, I mean, anybody, uh, he had Manu Ginobili. I remember working with Manu Ginobili before, um, you know, him being from Argentina, playing over in Italy before he ever came over. And I just thought, man, so explosive. Tony Kukoc. Um, he, he was, he was cerebral. He had length. Um, he had some versatility on offense where he could get you inside and finish. Yet he also had a nice quick release on the outside. So I'd say versatility as far as he kind of fit what Jerry Krause liked. Mm -hmm. He could guard multiple positions, but he could also score and get buckets in multiple facets. So I think the versatility was the first thing that stood out to me about Tony. Now he got physically stronger and he got mentally stronger as he continued to, uh, you know, mature in the NBA but that versatility was something that stood out in my mind right away awesome awesome i want to um you know what this, these are quick hitters i was i i died so deep into that all right cool here we go <laughs> <laughs> give me give me two more coach matter of fact you pick two more you give me any two numbers all right here give we me go. your favorite give me your favorite quick hitters you're the coach now you're calling the play i'm gonna i'm gonna give you the, the production here we go okay here we go here we go um thoughts on the last dance Oh, loved the last dance because to me, it reminded me and showed us his greatness for the younger generation. It introduced people who loved Kobe Bryant so much, but they saw the inspiration where Kobe Bryant, how he evolved and how he wanted to be the next Michael Jordan. Uh, so for, to me, I loved that this younger generation who loved the YouTube and who loved uh, millennials mm -hmm. They got to see who took the game global, his brand, his, his mentality, his competitiveness. I love that he introduced a whole young generation who didn't even know who he was before that last dance series came out. Great question. Yeah, I, I've felt so much awesomeness from going through that and reliving that again. That was incredible. Yeah. All right, Coach, here's the last one, right? Um, ooh, you know what? All right, pick between five and six. Those are my two favorite. Pick okay, let's go five. Two. Let's go five. Maybe okay, if I answer five. this one quick enough, we'll do five and six. Cool. Here we go. Basketball Mount Rushmore. Who's on that Ooh. Mount Rushmore for you? Players. Players. Oh, I like it. You you got to put Michael Jordan there. Global okay. globalized the game. Made it so unique. Um, the Last Dance 
showed that. So I would definitely put Michael. I would have to put Bill Russell because of mm-hmm. the number of championships that he won. And I'm a historian. To know where you're going, you got to know where you came from. And if it wasn't for Bill Russell standing up to racial inequality in the 60s, playing with the team and going to hotels that had segregation, mm-hmm. think about the doors that he opened for this younger generation that we still fight today, but got to love the amount of championships that he won as a player, player coach, and the number of rings. So you got to put uh, Bill on that. So definitely Bill, definitely Michael. Um, gosh, now the rest could be very, very arguable. Um, I, I would have to go Larry Bird. I mm-hmm. like Larry Bird because, again, before Larry and Magic had their rivalries, NBA games weren't even live. They were always tape delayed. So when you think about the NBA and the growth and development, it took someone like a Larry Bird and his style of play and his trash talk and his competitiveness that helped elevate the NBA. I don't say that because he's Caucasian. I say that because he was a great player. So Michael, Bill, Larry Bird. The fourth one. Man, that's a great question because there's so many people that you could put on that. Yeah, buddy. (laughs) Uh, So do you go with history or do you go generational? And I think right now if you went with history, there's four or five players that you would have to put on there. But if you went with current players, go ahead and put LeBron up on there because LeBron is going to do amazing things. And, again, he's not even done. Now, will he catch? Uh, Michael Jordan and the number of championships that he had, but look how many NBA finals he already took with lesser talent with him there. And yet he still produces and it can still be MVP every year. So why not put a LeBron and just appreciate his greatness? Because again, he has kept the NBA at an elite level when, when, uh, when Michael stepped down and Kobe stepped down. So you got LeBron carrying that torch, but who's going to pick up that torch and be the face of the, of the league when he's gone. So let's just appreciate the greatness. Now, did, did he make poor decisions uh, with the decision? Uh, you know, people <laughs> could debate, people could debate that all they want, but you can't take away what he does on the court. Coach, were you thinking um, with history, were you thinking a little bit, have, did, did Wilt cross your mind a little bit? 100% because he was so athletic. He's there. Uh, you know, they changed the rules for him because, you know, he was dunking all the time. So they actually t- had a no dunk rule because of him. So um, Wilt is someone that has to be right there in the conversation. You could also look at Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, the all-time scoring leader, had longevity. There's so many great players and it's subjective, but if you just went off my knee jerk gut reaction uh, on greatness, I I think the four that we listed uh, are are right there. Coach, you did an incredible job. You talked about knocking it out of the park, man, and you absolutely did that today. Um, I'll tell you, you, I'll tell you some of the questions we didn't ask. Uh, We, I wanted to know uh, what would your play? You don't have to answer these. What would your players say your favorite motto is? Um, you had a Scott Fields day of recognition. Um, I was going to ask you about that. Um, your favorite sport outside of basketball, your favorite athlete to watch. We talked about your favorite coach to study, but the other one was your favorite athlete to watch. Um, worst question that you've ever gotten from a media member. Um, and then the other one, <laughs> and then the other one was the best player in the 2020 NBA draft. And so there Ooh. were, 
There were still a few questions out there, man. But I like them. I like them. That's great stuff, man. You, you're you're going to be on NBA TV soon. I can see <laughs> you, man. Keep doing what you're doing. You're right there in Atlanta, too. TNT. T- uh, come on, man. You're, you're right there, brother. Yes, sir. Coach, you did an amazing job. Incredible. Um, Coach, please tell the people one more time where they can find your content, where they can find you, and where they can follow your amazing story. Thank you. I'm again, I'm honored and humbled that you asked me to come on. Uh, I I do live stream my show. Uh, It's on Facebook. Uh, So Facebook Live, you can just find uh, the Coach Scott Field Show. Please like us and follow us. Uh, Matter of fact, I'm going to get ready to go do an interview here in just a few minutes. I'm actually going to interview my mom and dad. They're going to talk about the young Scott Field. So that ought to be a lot of fun. Love it. Um, I had a I had a couple Hollywood uh, actors on on my show here recently. But again, you know, you talk about the Last Dance. I had had, um, a front office executive. I had one of the assistant coaches uh, that was in that was on those uh, great um, Chicago Bulls team. So I feel like we have great content, and uh, I think people will really enjoy it. So look look us up on YouTube, the Coach Scott Field Show, Facebook, um, the Coach Scott Field Show. It's pretty easy. It's just my name, and uh, sure sure enjoy bringing content, and I enjoy interacting. Uh, with the followers, you know, they send in questions and comments. I try to respond. I try to put a lot of content and ask different kind of questions throughout the week to, you know, keep people stimulated and curious to kind of, uh, you know, let them brain flex a little bit. So we have fun with it, Rick. So uh, I appreciate, you know, your support and allowing me to come on and, you know, just kind of peel the layers of the onion, which, which is Coach Scott Fields. Yo, and we asked this last question, Coach, to everybody that we interview, but mostly everybody that we interview. Um, the question is really simple. Um, the people who listen to this podcast, right, they're praying people. So how can we keep you in prayer, Coach? If we were praying for you, what would you like us to keep in prayer? You know what? I just I just want peace and harmony and equality uh, throughout the world. I feel like uh, we, we need more positivity. We need people be lifting people up. I think we got to pray for those who are less fortunate and, and don't have the mental and physical capabilities that most of us take for granted on a daily basis. I think good health is wealth. And I just think we just need to pray for those who are less fortunate. And let's, again, let's just have that priest in harmony. It's not about me. It's about we, and let's continue to lift everybody up. Yes, sir. Thank you so much, Coach. We appreciate you joining us. And listen, if you're out there, um, you just heard the coach, go check out his podcast, go check out his live streams, go check out his material. Phenomenal guy, fun, engaging, incredible. Um, and, and I hope you go and support him as well. Thank you so much for joining us, Coach. We truly appreciate it. Rick, you are big time, my brother. Don't let anybody tell you different. You keep doing what you're doing. Anytime you want me to come back, you give you give me a holler, and I, I promise you this this skinny white follicly challenge boy will come right on with you. <laughs> Thank you, Coach. We appreciate you. God bless you, brother. Yes, sir. All right, y'all. This is Rick Sincere, MTMV Sports.